The dust is settling on another productive Seahawks draft, and Seattle's performance is receiving widespread acclaim. Joining us to give his thoughts on each of the picks and the class as a whole is author, draft guru, and NFL editor for USA Today, Doug Farrar. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my persnickety producer, Mike Barwin, this is a very special edition of the Cigar Thoughts podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? We're doing great, Jackson. We're one week removed from the NFL draft, and I am well in the throes of convincing myself that the Seahawks went 10 for 10 drafting Hall of Famers. So it's all gravy (laughs) over here, baby. How are you? Oh, man. You know, honestly, I might not go that far, but now that we've had a week to think about it, I'm still feeling pretty good about how things went. It was a draft where Pete Carroll and John Schneider clearly targeted guys who they felt were the best players available as opposed to drafting for need. And while that was to the chagrin of many, I do see wisdom in that process, and it's a thought I want to dig into more, and we have the perfect guest to help us do that today. But before we do, I want to remind everyone listening that the official Cigar Thoughts cigars are now available for purchase at CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Direct links to order them will be in the notes on the show page as well, so feel free to click that from whichever platform you're listening on. As we announced earlier in the week, these cigars are made from a blend of premier Dominican tobacco leaf that has been aged 13 years and are available to Cigar Thoughts listeners for less than half of their normal MSRP. Do it for yourself and do it to help support the show. The delivery is speedy and we've already received some really impressive feedback from those of y'all who have bought them. So thank you for that. It means the world to us. Now, I mentioned that we have an esteemed guest with us today. He joined us last year after the draft to break down Seattle's sensational 2022 class, and he's back in the lounge to do it again. He is the NFL editor for USA Today, wields All-Pro and MVP votes each season, and is the author of the brilliant book, The Genius of Desperation. Mr. Doug Farrar, thanks for coming in. Hey guys, uh, welcome, uh, welcome back. I'm your guest. I'm not welcoming <laughs> me. I, I feel like I've aged 13 years with this draft, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you for <laughs> thank you for having me. Congratulations on the cigars. Hey, thank you so Great much, idea. man. Yeah, An idea yeah. whose time has come clearly. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. It's uh, we're off to a good start. Something I'm I'm very excited about. So I appreciate you saying that, uh, Doug. You were the guy we wanted to have on first after this draft, um, especially just because how insightful you were into last year's class when the Seahawks were coming off of a stretch of about five years of really not nailing it. And, uh, and, and you, draft. Yeah, yes, that's it. And, and you were pretty bullish on it and you ended up being right. I think in hindsight, maybe the Jets are the only other team whose class could compete with the Seahawks last year. Um, and, and we're going to dig into each of the Seahawks draft picks momentarily, but Doug, I want to start by focusing on the philosophy behind Seattle's 2023 draft class. All the talk leading up to the event was how much Seattle needed defensive line help as well as fortifying the interior of the offensive line. And in fact, the Vegas lines were prohibitively in favor of the Seahawks going D line with their first pick, but instead they used their massive first round capital to select a corner and a wide receiver. Given that Devin Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigbo were close to consensus as the best at their positions in the class, do you feel that this was a case of the Seahawks taking the best player available as opposed to, quote, drafting for need? And if so, how do you feel about that approach? Uh, 
Well, I, I think it's I think smart teams get the best player available for need. I think you you know it's not one thing or the other. You combine them, but they didn't need a third receiver more than they needed a center or interior defensive line help or linebacker or Certainly. whatever. So when Jackson Smith and Jigba's there with the twentieth pick, and you're like, oh, I can get this, you know, the modern, the this, like the new Cooper Cup. Then you do it. Uh, wow. Do we need another running back? Well, of course we need another running back because we're the Seahawks. Um, do we need another edge guy? Probably we have three, so maybe we need. So they, yeah, they went, they went best player available in their minds. I think during the bad draft stretches, they went best player available in their minds a lot. They just they weren't firing on the right cylinders with the philosophy. Hmm. And I asked both Pete and John at the com- at the combine in early March. Um, you know why was the, and w- without saying, hey, these five drafts sucked because they're not question if I ask them that. Um, they know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're smart guys. They know they blew it. Um, and I, I found the answers interesting and enlightening. And in the days leading up to the draft, I was kind of thinking about what especially Carol said to me in response. And I thought, they're not taking Jalen Carter. I, no Jalen Carter is a generational. He reminds me of Chris Jones, not when Chris Jones came out of college, but Chris Jones now. Hmm. Like, he's Chris Jones now. Wow. If if he's ding, you know, if he's ding proof, um, they would probably have had to trade up to get him. But the more I thought about the way they're doing it now and the way they're committed to doing it, both Caroline Schneider, no, they're not going to take him. So when they took Witherspoon, I know a lot of people were surprised they took Witherspoon at five. I wasn't surprised at all because they were, you know, they wanted the best player left on their boards and it wouldn't, it didn't surprise me at all that Witherspoon was the guy. I think if you factor in Carter's questions, Devin Witherspoon is the best defensive player in this draft, not the best corner, the best defensive player. Wow. And if you, if you take quarterbacks out of the equation, he might be the best player overall. Holy um, cow. I was, I was incredibly, the, the more I watched, the more I was just like, this guy, whoa, he's just special. Wow. So, what, what did what did Pete Carroll say to you when, when you asked him about those five draft classes that made you think, you know what, this is not going to be Carter here? I run the direct quote. He said, we really wanted guys who could handle it because we knew they would have a chance to play. It was really important to us, their character and their confidence in themselves the way they came across with that, we were picking them for those spots, hoping it would work out, and it did. This is talking about last year. Perfect group of guys in the makeup and mentality that they brought to us. We're always trying to get more accurate in what we're doing. We really find that the character and the makeup part of it was crucial, and we continue to look at that. And Schneider talked about being Catholic, so he beats himself up a lot. <laughs> His quote, not mine. Uh, send the angry letters to the VMAC, not to Cigar Thoughts. Um some of the background information Schneider said some of the background information we had on players from a confidence standpoint or a swagger standpoint weren't necessarily able to compete with the Shermans and Chancellors and Wagners and KJ Wrights, Earl Thomas. You know, they they weren't getting guys who could compete with those guys. Mm. They kind of they they thought they could reach because they had this you know one of the four or five best defenses of all time. So you know, and the, the offense is locked in, so they kind of figured they could fart around and you know make interesting picks and get cute and they realize now no we we we're not that we're not that team anymore so you know reflecting on all that that they're not taking carter no matter how, i don't care how good he is and he's tremendous he's an amazing player the tape is preposterous <laughs> but i knew at that point and you look at uh what was the the they have a little icon for the tough like the hammer is it 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They hammer. They had like hammers by all their guys, and you can watch. You know, certainly the the four guys, especially we're going to talk about. Um, yes, they're all hammers. They're all tough guys. They're all they all bring it all the time. And you add these players to what they did last year, and it's hard not to be excited with you know the change in philosophy. <laughs> what I said last year on your show is that they spent those first few years building the LOB and getting. Marshawn in a low ball trade and getting Russ and they, they spent so much time getting undervalued assets as opposed to overrated projects. And they kind of went back to that. Mm. And mm-hmm. I think they went back to it in this draft too. And I think anytime you do that, you identify your undervalued assets. That's pure money ball. I mean, what's not to like? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's start with Devin Witherspoon. I mean, that is, that is high praise that you gave. Yep. And, and, you know, we, we had teased the possibility of Witherspoon at five about a month ahead of time. Um, and, and then you didn't hear anything really connecting him, uh, to Seattle. And it was almost a foregone conclusion that Detroit was going to take him. And I, I think that's kind of what led to Detroit scrambling right afterwards. I, I think they were a bit blindsided by that, but, so. uh, you know, the more that you look in, to this kid, the more of his tape you watch, the more of the stats you look at, the more of the interviews you hear with him, it becomes clearer and clearer why they took him. When you were getting ready for the draft and really digging into all these guys, what were your impressions of Devin Witherspoon? And then how do you feel about Seattle using such a high pick on him? Uh, well, I find it interesting that uh, Pete compared him to Troy Palomalu. The only other guy I've heard, I was like, gosh. Six or seven years ago, I was doing a piece on Earl Thomas. I think it was at Sports Illustrated at the time. And I asked Pete about Earl. And one thing he said is that, like, the value of Earl. Mm. And one question Pete asked me, he has answered the question with a question uh, When was the last time you saw anyone throw a post on us? I'm like, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Well, you remember in that Panthers game that when Earl got hurt and they and Cam Newton threw a 60 yard post to, to Ted, Ted Ginn the next immediately. play? immediately next play um the other thing pete said is and it was the first time i'd ever heard him compare anyone to paul lalu was earl thomas and just you know an absolute frantic guy on the field but he always knew where he was going Mm -hmm. it was like this controlled aggression um witherspoon yeah almost six feet 181 so he's not sea hockey whatever that means um i don't care you know, I, I had heard dings like he gets beaten deep. And, okay, I guess you can watch cornerback tape and any quarterback like beaten deep once. But uh, quarterbacks targeted Witherspoon 15 times on passes of 20 more yards last season. They completed one for 39 <laughs> yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Wow. Uh, passer rating of on passes of 20 more air yards, 0.0. <laughs> Mr. That's Blutarski. ludicrous, man. <laughs> Mr. Blutarski, 0.0. Wow. The thing that really stood out to me for a cornerback of his size and six foot is that's about the, the, the point where you start to get a little limited in your ability to match and transition with smaller, quicker, more angular receivers. He has the aggressiveness and the body type of a six foot corner. He has the match feet of a guy who's like 5'9 or 5'10, like a a Trey Hodges Tomlinson or Clark Phillips, who are smaller guys and went much later. But, you know, he's he's got because we talk about the aggression and he's got that dog in him. And yeah. Oh, he's a hitter, man. He is a hitter. But the thing that really impressed me was how well he could 
dance with receivers, mm-hmm. match all the way through, foot for foot, you know, move for move. And that that was the thing that really stood out above above everything else. Uh, my comp for him was Sam Madison. Uh, I've hmm. heard the Denzel Ward comps. I think they're informative. Um, what I wrote was selected by the Dolphins in the second round of the 97 draft out of Louisville. Madison transcended any concern about his size, 5'11", 180, with great movement skills and the toughness to take any receiver right to the woodshed. Madison parlayed all that into four Pro Bowl appearances and two All-Pro nominations. Witherspoon seems to have the tools to possibly put up an equivalent NFL career given the right home. This is the right home. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, he is absolutely, whether we talk about him as sea hockey given his size, he is absolutely the type of player that both Carol and Schneider were talking about at the combine. Like, we have to have these types of guys. Mm-hmm. We have to have guys that we can put hammers on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's unquestionably that. Wow. You know, uh, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on something, Doug, because, you know, there's no question Seattle has lacked any sort of consistent pass rush for years now. And that need has never been more apparent than it was coming into this draft. But talk to me about the benefit of having elite coverage and what that does for a pass rush. Yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. I would estimate just, and, and I'm, I'm spitballing here, but I would estimate that 30% of the sacks I see, probably 40% of the pressures, are derived first from coverage and then from pass rush. By that I mean the quarterback is looking around and he can't, ah, that guy's, that guy is crap. And then the, there's the pressure. So sometimes, especially in today's NFL, and the other thing Witherspoon does very well is quick game. Um, in today's NFL, there's so much quick game. If you can't press your receiver, you're in trouble. Yes. Because so true. <clears throat> the ball's coming out so quickly. If you can't disrupt that route, you're just going to give stuff up over and over and over. Uh, the I next mean, Tom Brady and Drew Brees changed everything when it came to yes. the timing of passing offenses in the NFL. And the next, the next guy we're going to talk about is a receiver who exploited that quite brilliantly, um, and will do so also. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't wait to do that. One, <laughs> one, I do want to ask you one more question before yeah, we move on I'm from just, Witherspoon. Yeah, with Witherspoon, uh, he can also so he can press and disrupt the routes. He can take a guy anywhere he needs to take him. So he can create pressure with his ability to disrupt and take the quarterback out of his head. And oh crap, that that little split second where you have it or you don't, and mm-hmm. it's not a thought; it's a reaction. That's how mm-hmm. quick it has to be. Mm-hmm. Witherspoon can eliminate a lot of those things. So in that thirty to forty percent realm, um, and now I want to like chart a bunch of stuff and see like how accurate that is. That'd be an interesting article. Yeah, but, I would. I would read that know, for sure. Yeah, um, that sort of thing he's great at. So he will create pressure in coverage. He is that type of guy in the same way that uh, Deontay Banks, who went to the Giants or Joey Porter Jr., who went to the Steelers, will just envelop you. He can also do that. If Witherspoon is as good, let's say he's 90 percent as good as you and I think that he is. Do the Seahawks have potentially the best secondary in the NFL? Could be. Yeah, I want to. I I, I think uh, love the Giants safety. They're going to be more too high. 
-hmm. It's going to be more too high. And I think that the lack of an interior defensive lineman, I think maybe this is the year they can go full metal Fangio like they wanted to last year and just kind of didn't have the personnel to do it. Now they kind of do. Um, they bring Bobby back. He can sort of set the tone for everyone. Um, he can be the shot caller as he was and as Cam was. I don't know if they had a shot caller last year. It was kind of a, you know, oh, let's go do this. <clears throat> um, best secondary? I mean, certainly the most oppressive. Um, I, I have no question about the, the, the top four. Um, I don't know, you know, where and what with Jamal Adams, but of course. I'm not. I'm not sort of counting Jamal Adams in my head. Um, if they want to run a bunch of too high, which is the kryptonite for any quarterback right now, including Justin Herbert, who's better at it than anyone else, um, that you know, this year they have the guys to do that. They're yeah. not they're not trying to patch it together. And the other interesting thing about this, I mean, you go back to the LOB, Sherm never really had that kind of bookend. That's true. They now. they rotated on the other side. They had Brandon Browner for a little bit, and then they had uh, Daryl Simon. They they threw a bunch of guys. Byron over there. Maxwell. Byron, Byron Maxwell, Maxwell. That's the guy I was thinking. And Byron of. Yeah. Maxwell was good, but he yeah, wasn't with the like, sleeves. It wasn't this. Yeah. So it's potentially lob. I don't know. Um, it's different. It's, yeah. It's modern. It's more modern. It's not cover three or bust. It's you know, it allows him to do a lot of interesting things under Clint Hurt that maybe they couldn't, maybe they wanted to do last year, but they just couldn't. So sure. they get love, they get Witherspoon. Well, you're, you're altering half of your secondary in a really positive direction. So that's kind well. Of and, and one last thought on that. I heard a uh, interview with KJ Wright yesterday who was saying the plan last year and certainly the plan this year for Jamal Adams was he, he was calling him the fulcrum of the defense and that by bringing in love, that is not a replacement for Jamal Adams, although he he could be if necessary. It is going to free Jamal Adams up to do what he does best and take him out of deep coverage and essentially make him a free-range hitter. And that's a really exciting prospect, especially given how thin Seattle is at off-ball linebacker. You can, you can almost make Jamal Adams kind of that deathbacker type player where, yes, he can cover a bit if you need him to, but... He's in there to go get the ball, which is something that he's always been exceptional at. Still makes you wonder why you give up two first round picks for a second. <laughs> it does. It does. I don't know that they're. I don't know that they're ever going to justify that. But you know they're what? Not. I mean, they, they're really. I I admire them for trying as hard as they are. But sure, you know. of course, of course. All right. So you teased this next guy a little while ago, and I, I want to dig in because with their second pick of the first round, the Seahawks selected Jackson Smith and Jigba, the incredibly productive receiver from Ohio State. Yes. And in our final show before the draft, I actually mocked him to Seattle at twenty because. One, he was probably my second favorite player in this entire draft. And because I think he has the opportunity to do two things simultaneously. One, he can give the Seahawks arguably the toughest receiving core in the co to cover in the league. And two, he provides a contingency plan for Tyler Lockett. So yes. tell me about your thoughts on the player and on the fit in Seattle. He was my uh, obvious. Well, who's your was Carter your favorite? Anthony Richardson. Oh, OK, cool. I love Richardson. And he, oh God, he went to the perfect place, right? He did. I know. Runner, I know. If he wasn't going to come to Seattle, I'm, I'm glad he's in the <laughs> AFC and I'm glad he's he's with Indy. He's going to run that that uh, Jalen. Oh, my he, gosh. He's going to run the F, that – I was talking to – because I have a podcast with Greg Cosell, and we were talking about that, like, well, Richardson needs to run the Eagles offense. We said that pre-draft and after the draft. But, well, okay, now he is. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah, Smith and Jigba would have been top 10 with a fully healthy season. I don't think there's any question about that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was my receiver two. My receiver mm. one was Zay Flowers because... God, I love Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers not only did a bunch of ridiculous stuff, but did you see those quarterbacks? Oh, I mean, I, he... <laughs> I give I give receivers a bump when they have to deal with bad quarterbacks. And Zay Flowers looks like an NFL guy. Who is my comp for Zay Flowers? Oh, he, was, he was... He was... T.Y. T- Hilton is perfect. He was T.Y. Hilton with, like, Division Two quarterback play. So yeah. he was going to be my receiver one. And I always got Lamar Jackson throwing him the ball, so good for him. The the amount of yards left off the stat sheet. Oh, my God. It was like flowers. When I watched uh, Kyle Pitts and I had to watch Kyle Trask. Right. Same thing. Yeah. Like how much how much helium. I could feel my voice rising with all the helium balls. Um, so Smith and Jigba. Uh, let's see. Uh, these are all 2021 stats. Um, so interesting thing about him, five, 562 snaps in the slot, 80 out wide, two in line, one in the backfield. Um, in the tape piece I did, the top eight receivers, I, I did. I really went out of my way to pick examples of him winning outside mm. because I think he's more of an outside receiver than people are letting on. And... The first three, when I when I did strengths, I had three plays uh, in which he won, three positive plays, and they were all from the outside. So I know that Carolyn Schneider and, and Shane Waldron would prefer that their receivers be interchangeable. With Smith and Jibba, you hear slot, 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 and you can kind of get that beaten into your head to the point where you think he's nothing else or very little else. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think he can win outside just fine. If he's 50% yeah. outside... Well, that was one of the things I was going to ask you, because one thing with the Shane Waldron offense, it's actually really nice to see. You know, I, I felt like with Schottenheimer and Bevel, you had pretty static pre-snap formations in Seattle. Yeah, think? <laughs> <laughs> to put it gently. And, and three routes. Cool. And that's that's exactly it. And, you know, they did not hesitate to move DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett all over the formation they last year. They were a year. really good motion team last year, and I'm a motion I just won't shut up about it. So yeah, I'm no, like, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Absolutely. Anything. I mean, I think, I think the ability to disguise intention is, is maybe the most underrated aspect of football. And, and now with Jackson Smith and Jigba, I mean, there's no tells if he really can win outside at the NFL level, there are no tells on this offense. Seattle had the 10th fewest dropbacks with three receivers last year, 413 Ravens had okay. the fewest, of course, with 123. <laughs> Jeez. 80 fewer than anybody else. Oh, cow. Because you know, that's who they are. Uh, Bengals had the most, of course, because they have those three receivers. Um, right. So back to my Smith and Jigba. So, so, yeah, so that's yeah. that's the question because he's you know, we- not just, he's not, well, my comparison for him is Cooper Cup. And Ooh. then I guess, yeah, yeah, you told me that he compared himself to Cooper he Cup. He did. He yeah. did. Yeah, it's funny because uh, when we had Davis Sue on during the draft, I, I said he reminded me of Stefan Diggs. You say Cooper Cup. And then in his presser after the draft, JSN compared himself to a mix of Cooper Cup and Stefan Diggs. So you and I had it, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the yeah, my what I wrote, the Rams stole Cup in the third round of the 2017 draft out of Eastern Washington. Cup made it clear pretty quickly he was going to define Sean McVay's passing game, regardless of the quarterback with his route precision, his awareness of defenders around him and his ability to move away from them despite decent but not amazing straight speed. And that's what really got me into the cup comparison because Smith and Jigba, 
he's got like everything else, but he's not a burner. He's not right. going to run away from you. Right. He's just going to make it miserable. Like you, your your day is going to suck if you have to cover him because he's so exacting with his routes. He I mean, he's open by the time the snap hits the quarterback's hands. And his foot movement at the line of scrimmage is just preposterous. So when we were talking about disrupting receivers at the line of scrimmage, and I remember when I was writing up Devontae Smith, and can a guy this small make it in the NFL? And I pointed to his foot movement at the line of scrimmage. Like, well, he's going to be, he's going to dry up and blow away if you get your hands on him. Okay. Yeah. Go, go put your hands on him. Right. Okay. Well, Well, having an 83 inch wingspan. Start that cigar while you try to do that. And uh, let us know how that goes for you. That's Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, So, a few of my notes as far as uh, excellent sense of how to work zone coverage, whether he's inside or outside, he'll find open space. He's especially effective with this in bunches and stacks where defenders have to take that extra millisecond to discern where he's going. That millisecond is all he needs. Uh, You don't want to get fooled by his feet because if he turns you around, it's all over. He's too quick to allow defenders to recover from missteps most of the time. Uh, Angular expert who can just eat up press and do the same to off-coverage corners when they come uh, come up to deal with him. He can also easily extrapolate those skills to gain yards after the catch. Um... So really, he's just he's he's NFL ready. Um, yeah. Well, that that I think is like now. you know I think I think Zay Flowers maybe the most. We're not going to have any like when you know, DK Metcalf can't run routes. We're not going to have no, <laughs> no <laughs> man, not not at all. And and look, it's I I don't like to do a lot of helmet scouting, but when you have a program with a pedigree at a certain position, and Ohio State has that at wide receiver, you know. Alabama kind of took over for LSU in that regard. And now Ohio state has taken that from Alabama in terms of just, just churning out lottery picks at the position. And, you know, they run a pro style offense where they're running professional routes and they're running. Well, I've seen the playbook. It's option routes, over which, and over and over. which is like high level wide receiver play because you know, we had, we had Michael Bumpus on uh, during the draft as well. And he talked about how you have to have a plan B and you have to understand how to weave that plan B in with what the quarterback wants to do. And it takes a really high level of skill and wide receiver acumen to be able to run option routes and know that you're going to be on the same page with, uh, with the quarterback. This drove me nuts when people were saying that Justin Fields was slow processing, Like, mm. no, he's waiting for the option route to break. Mm. That's what's going on here. Uh, a couple of dings, small dings, very small. Uh, Smith and Jigba can get on top of receivers with his route awareness and movement skills. He doesn't have the kind of pure burner speed that will allow him to consistently get and keep away from those defenders in a straight line at the second and third levels. At his size, Good thing they have DK Metcalf. Who can just blow your face up. Uh, at his size, he's not going to break tackles with pure power. He's an exploiter and creator of open space as opposed to a bigger guy who's just going to crash into people for extra gains. Again, good thing they have DK Metcalf. So. You know who your notes remind me of? Amon Ross St. Brown. I got yes, I could totally see that. Very much so. Very much so. Yes. I mean, Amon Ross like St. Brown isn't I like that comp just as much as Cooper Cobb, actually, the more yeah. I think about it. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and and Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, they he pretty much defines their passing game. He's mm-hmm. another guy like Cup who will come in and well, he's not the biggest, he's not the fastest, and he's not this, and he's not that. Yeah, and within one or two years, he's mm-hmm. like your number one receiver. 
Yeah, because he was second fiddle to Robert Woods in in everyone's mind, and Brandon Cooks, I think, before that, and it was just kind of like he's going to be the the second option here, and pretty soon. I mean, it, it's kind of Tyler Lockett esque, and it's like, okay, yes. Well, it's DK's the one, DK's the one, and I mean, he is. But then you look at the stats at the end of the year, and it's it's Lockett at the top every time. I almost think DK is a better two. Mm-hmm. I think he makes more sense as a T, T Higgins esque uh, in that way. Very well, uh, Quentin Johnston, who went to the Chargers, I compared to T Higgins. I think mm-hmm. he's a better two. Mm-hmm. Those bigger guys are usually better twos in in the NFL because you need a guy like this. So they got a, they got a one and they got a one, they got a one, one pick before Quentin Johnston was the churches. I mean, that, that's, he's the one who's going to start out as their three. That is scary. I I don't think that getting Devin Witherspoon at five is any sort of, uh, that's where he should have gone. If anything, it's a, a bit of a steal. I think getting Smith and Jigba at 20 because of the, you know, the only thing I think is the abbreviated season due to injury. Other than mm-hmm. that, he's top ten. He's top eight. You know, he's well. Yeah, coming off that Rose Bowl, his sophomore year, they're talking about. You know, is he going to be a top three pick? Yep. What well, this fully healthy season, he might have even eclipsed Flowers, even though his quarterback was my favorite quarterback in this class. Yeah. Um, yeah. At a certain point, it doesn't matter. The guy's just ridiculous. So yeah, he's he's great. He's I want to uh, play, and he's immediate. He is immediate on your team. Oh my gosh. I want to get into these day two picks, but look, I don't mean to sound repetitive or like a homer here, but does the addition of JSN give the Seahawks the best collection of three receivers in this league right now? Uh, they don't have a Jamar Chase. Fair. Fair. Just the top end talent of, of Chase puts him over. Yeah. 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 Jamar That's Chase fair. is a That's fair. alien. Who can I mean, Jam- <laughs> Jamar Chase might be Jerry Rice. Um T Higgins would be uh receiver one on like 20 teams. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyler Boyd is spectacular. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you, I mean, what is the NFL now creating? It's all about creating and stopping explosive plays. If you have a top five receiver group and a top five secondary, mm-hmm. as long as you're not screwing everything else up everywhere, you've got a chance to go to a Super Bowl. man. Man, that is ex- that is I mean, exciting. It, it helps if you have a top five receiver group and your quarterback doesn't stink and they're fine there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're gonna see what they can do in the trenches because you know they they kind of eschewed the top end talent in this draft and outside of Draymond Jones in free agency as well. But starting at the top and of day two, really isn't an inside guy. No, no, he, he really isn't. Even if he plays inside, he's really more. He's an edge guy. He's not like I, I almost wish you could take Anthony Bradford like at the reverse Tom Cable. Like I think he would be a great nose tackle. Let's just move sure. him over there. See what we can do. Yeah, maybe they do that. Maybe and they he do that. Pass protect, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, we're going to talk about Bradford too. But uh, at the top of game, man. Oh boy. Yeah. 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 Uh, but at the at at the top of day two, they took Derek Hall. And admittedly, neither Mike or I saw this coming. Uh, Hull was on my radar a little bit, but I had been operating under the assumption that they would have addressed D-line in the first round. And I knew Hall was probably a second round guy. So I didn't dig into him a lot. But instead of doing that, they waited until pick 37. They selected this very speedy edge rusher out of Auburn with like almost historical quickness. His 10 yard split is 98th percentile. And And it's on this guy. He's... His 
ass is coming out of a cannon on every it's, play. It's crazy. And and I want to I want to make one note on that bef- before uh, turning you loose on him cuz I'm I'm super curious to learn more about him through you. But a lot of times when you see these smaller edge rushers, they you know, a big guy gets their hands on him and and it's kind of over. They have to beat you with speed. But he's so good at knowing how to transfer his speed into power. And yes. when I'm watching that's, this tape, that's my first note. Okay. And, you know, I'm watching his tape and so many of his tackles for loss came by going right through offensive tackles. He, he does, he does two things incredibly well. He will get both hands on your numbers and just push you back. And he's got that Von Miller long arm. One of his sacks Mm. came that way where he'll just extend his arm and then, and then use his upper body leverage and speed to power to push you into the quarterback. So my notes on hall Let's see. Uh, eight sacks, forty-seven pressures, thirty-five stops last season. Um, I, I I always struggle. Like, how does he project? Because a lot and Hall's hand movement. I wouldn't say his technique is like elevated. It might take him a year to really click. Mm-hmm. Um, high-waisted player who beat who plays best in a two-point stance, wide off the edge. Primary move speed to power, where he'll get his hands inside the blocker's numbers and just move him back can take guys 50 pounds heavier right off their feet. He had a sack against Alabama where he took their right tackle and just, like, uh, undressed him with that. (laughs) The guy was like, ass over tea kettle, what the hell is happening? This guy is just killing me. Uh, Impressive play strength for his size, 6'3", 264. He he hits like he's 280. Um, Uses his long arms, 84th percentile, to separate and dislodge from blocks, has a Von Miller-style long arm that he can can be deadly, has to work on his hand movement and elevated techniques, has an embryonic inside counter that can be developed, no spin to speak of, bend around the edge to a point, though it's more of a dip under the tackle than it's like a dip and rip or a motorcycle lean that's sort of the Marcus Ware thing, plays with his hair on fire at all times, but has a good sense of redirection when he needs to do it, definitely an outside guy as opposed to someone you could move around the line. He's not... I said of Boye Mafe last year, I'd love to see him play inside more. That's not that's not Derek Hall. You want him mm, outside. He's, got it. He will get eaten up inside. Does so, that move Mafe inside, do you think, now? I don't know. I mean, they, they really have, well, let's see. They've got Derek Taylor. they got uh, Owosu. They've got Mafe. They've got Hall. And Jaron Reed. That's hey, about it. You know, if they want to run some five-man stuff, if they want to run some six-one, some weird NASCAR things, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I like Derek Hall. I just I think you need to know what he is and where he can develop. He's never going to be that twitchy Nolan Smith, BJ Ojolari, you know, guy. But those guys are twenty pounds lighter, and they're right. not going to be that powerful. Although Nolan Smith almost is, which is why I'm kind of a yeah. Big, he's a freak, like, man. He went to th- at thirty. Woo. At some point, the NFL is going to have to investigate Howie Roseman and how he keeps getting <laughs> It's wild, man. It is so wild. It's just, I mean, let's, you know what? Let, let's just, we, we got to do it. 90 seconds on the Eagles, man, because they're the blueprint right now. I don't think Roseman's doing anything. I, I, I'm now reading the other GMs are tired of all the praise he's getting. Well, do your job better, guys. Um mm-hmm. I don't think Howie's doing anything unusual. He's just doing everything right. He is he is counting cards. He's beating the casino. Mm. And there are ways to do that. There are methods to do that. Proven methods. Is the to way that. to do that just draft everyone from the best defense in college football from the last twenty years? Well, yeah, and look what the Steelers <laughs> did. Look what the Steelers look what the other Pennsylvania team did. They took uh-huh. everyone from you know, everyone really good from Georgia's offense. Yep. Um 
you know, he's got he's got his methodology. He's never going to spend heavy on running backs. He's never going to spend heavy on linebackers. Um, he got uh, DeAndre Swift for a, it was a fourth round pick. Fourth rounder. And, and I was reading that if they let him go after this year, the compensatory pick would probably be a fourth rounder. So they got him for nothing. Free, I mean, free how year he, how of he, DeAndre Swift. How he, just, how he just has it. He has it down in his head. He understands his methodology. He understands what will work for him and for his team. And, you know, he's not an alien. He's not coming from outer space with some hidden, you know, right. Aaron Rodgers vision quest thing that no one else has. It's just. It's like how the Ravens drafted for years. It was just yes. like whenever it was their turn to pick, they just did the right thing. <laughs> they never got cute. They were super picky well, with when they traded all- up. Undervalued assets. Jalen Carter went at nine. They traded up for Jalen Carter. Now, if if you know twenty GMs did that, we'd be crucifying them. But because it's Howie, it's like how Belichick got the benefit of the doubt for a long time. Um, yeah. Carolyn Schneider got the benefit of the doubt for a long time. Yes, they did. Right now, Howie's that guy, and mm-hmm. justifiably so. Yeah, yeah. All right. So at fifty-two, the Seahawks made their most controversial pick of the draft. They selected Zach Charbonnet, the running back from UCLA. Now. I say controversial because there are a lot of people out there who think that's right. There's no such thing as a running back that's worthy of a second round pick. Many of those folks, they still feel that way. Even after seeing what Ken Walker did last season, I don't necessarily share that opinion, but back to back second round picks on the position is a pretty big swing given their deficiencies elsewhere. Right? So tell me your thoughts on the value of taking running back there. Just kind of writ large. And then tell us how you feel about the player himself. It really depends. I mean, people are talking a lot about the Lions and how they took Jameer Gibbs the 12th pick and, oh, what a reach that is for a running back. Well, they don't view Jameer Gibbs as a running back. They view him as an offensive weapon. The Falcons took uh, B. John Robinson, who in my mind is the best running back prospects in Adrian Peterson, with the 8th pick. They don't view him as a running back. They view him as an offensive weapon. I think with Walker and Charbonnet, they they view them as running backs, but it's like this two-headed monster because they've been trying to, you know, Chris Carson had injuries and, you know, they've, they've tried it with all sorts of guys since Marshawn Lynch, including zombie Marshawn Lynch for a while. Um, They hit it right with Ken Walker, but Ken Walker is a certain type of back. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I comped him to Melvin Gordon. Um, He's a slasher. He's a, a, a quick guy. He's not a receiver. He's not a blocker. Charbonnet is, so the six foot two fourteen, um, only fifty second percentile weight, but he doesn't play that way. That's not uh, how he plays. Eight hundred and six of his thirteen fifty eight rushing yards came after contact last season, Sheesh. and he averaged four point one five yards after contact per rushing attempt. I'll give you my notes on him uh, real quick, and then we'll get to the NFL comp, which I, I think you guys will like as your listeners. <laughs> Uh, at his best, Charbonnet comes to the field with vision, contact balance, and acceleration in a package that projects him very well to the NFL as a feature back. Uh, lateral speed to bounce it outside. His lateral speed is an underrated thing. Average 6.9 yards per attempt on 92 runs charted to the outside or off tackle last season. 6.9 yards per attempt. That's an offensive weapon. He has the ability to reset in space to bring that contact balance into play, which can be a problem for defenders at the second and third level. Uh, this especially for his size, he chews up turf from an agility perspective like a guy two or three inches shorter. Um, he's a good receiver on swing passes and screens. 
Uh, the kid they got in the seventh round from Georgia is a much better receiver. Yeah, I think he's the new Travis Homer. Get ready, Mike. I think Kenny yeah. McIntosh is the new Travis Homer. Homer. Uh, yeah. Oh, baby. Ring so, the bells. Light the pyres. <laughs> I think Charbonnet is perfectly adequate with with swing, swings and screens. I, I've heard him as you know an asset in the receiving game. There's some ugly reps on release routes, but um, needs a little work. He'll catch block. it if you throw it to him, though. He'll catch it if you throw it to him, but you better throw it to him. Yeah, uh, there's <laughs> right. a lot of radius there. Uh, yeah. It better be between the two and the four. If you're a shot caller, this is my conclusion. If you're a shot caller for an NFL team in need of an old school hammerhead who can blow through tackles and also present some speed and wiggle, Charbonnet could be well could well be your guy. He may struggle at first for an every down roll at the next level, which you will not need here because he's not going to be the every down guy. Um, Due to some limitations at this point in his process, but the stuff that works is valuable and it works right now. My NFL comparison, Marshawn Lynch. Stop it. <laughs> Selected the 12th overall pick in the 20, 2007 draft. It was a different era by the Bills. Lynch had a few good seasons with his first NFL team, exploded into the scene pretty quickly after the Seahawks traded for him in the 2010 season. Lynch was a broken tackle machine. Uh, as you know from his marquee runs over time, but he also presented tremendous lateral agility and became the epicenter of Seattle's offense for a time, despite a relative lack of home run speed, which he really didn't have, and not a ton of value as a receiver. Um, it's the combination of contact power and lateral agility. You know, maybe the 24 got in my head and I just went there. But there are a lot of characteristics of Charbonnet's style that remind me of Lynch. You know, the way he runs... Uh, one of the things that I, I really look for, of course, contact balance, right? Everyone wants a running back with great contact balance. Zach Charbonnet has that. Ken Walker has that in spades. But I look for Velcro feet. And yes. when Zach Charbonnet's feet hit the ground, there's no slippage. There's no double clutching with his feet. He is incredibly efficient with his feet. And and look, we're throwing out some lofty names here today. But stylistically, I'm not saying talent-wise because the guy I'm about to mention is is an alien, but style wise, Zach Charbonnet runs with the grippy feet that you see from Nick Chubb. Yes. Yes. I could see that. Another 24, right? Yeah. Another 24. So, <laughs> so let me ask you this. this. Now he's yeah, not going you... to wear, wear 24. No, no, I don't think that's, so. That's too much. I, I, I don't think I so. Could, I can see that. He doesn't have Chubb's power, but no, uh, I mean, and no one does. I mean, I mean, Chubb, I, can see, I can see what you're talking about—the like grippy feet, the Velcro feet. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, so, so Which you know, Marshawn now so, also had, once Marshawn put his ankle in it, you were done. Yes, yes, it's so true. And, and Marshawn had that unique running style where his feet were so wide too. Yeah, but you know, it was almost uh, crab-like and right, <laughs> right. So, so here's here's kind of what I'm thinking. There, a lot of the commentary that I heard immediately after the draft and look, uh, fantasy football, uh, analysis has bled into real football analysis and you know, it's helped grow the game. I, I don't have a problem with that, but you know, I think that that has influenced the conversation around Seattle's two newest running backs, uh, speaking of Walker and, and Charbonnet is, you know, okay, well maybe Walker's the first and second down back and Charbonnet's the third down slash hurry up guy. And you know, I, I don't see that necessarily. I think what Pete Carroll values is fresh legs at the position. And so the more I think about yeah, it, I, I see it. The thing about it being that segmented, if it, if you do it in a way that that's segmented, well, opposing teams know. They know exactly what you're doing. You're basically, you're, you're telling your plays. 
Yeah, I, I, I wonder if it's not going to be more of like alternating drives the way that Green Bay has with Aaron Jones and A.J. Yeah. Dillon or that the Panthers used to do with Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams. We're giving you 20 carries. We're giving you 10 based on this opponent. We're yeah. playing Chargers who can't defend the run for bat turds, to quote Tanner Boyle. Uh, so we're going to, you know, now it's Charbonnet because we want to sure. really exploit that up the middle. Um, yeah. just depends. We're playing the Buccaneers. We don't want Charbonnet going up against Vita Vea and now Kalijah Canty, my God. Uh, I pictured uh, Arnold and DeVito and twins, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It was it was like uh, when Brian Burns met Bryce Young, that sort of thing. But right, know, yeah, yeah. So you know when Vita Vea is in there, you get you do not run up the middle. So maybe we want Ken Walker. Maybe it's situational, not for our offense, but against the defense. Well, that that was going to be my next question. Is me, it strikes me as that's more of what it is when you have a, a running back rotation. It's not we're going to set up our plays with this particular back. It's we're playing this team, so now we have these different options. I was. Talking to Greg Cosell, who I have the podcast with, this is right before the draft. We were talking about running backs in general. And I said, you know, the fact that there aren't these bell cow backs now, um, it uh, it allows offensive coordinators to be more creative with their backs mm-hmm. and deploy them as weapons as opposed to every down guys. And who cares? Who right. Cares yeah, well, and I, I look it's back at, at Pete Carroll's now. days in, in USC. When when yeah. Carroll was at USC, he over-recruited running back. I remember one year, mentioned it on the show, he had 10 first-team All-State running backs on his roster at one time. And the best offense he ever had was with Reggie Bush and Lendell White. And yes, Lendell White was more of a hammer and Reggie Bush was a do-it-all type of guy. But they would alternate entire drives. There wasn't one thing that they didn't trust either of those two guys to do. And I think that's something that Pete Carroll values a lot. The other thing is, and this is sort of speaking to trying to understand the process between uh, or, or behind taking Charbonnet here after taking Walker High last year, is I think there was a teardrop after Charbonnet at the position. You know, a lot of people... Uh, had Charbonnet as the number two running back in this class. And after that, I thought there was a pretty big drop to the Kendra Millers and the Tajay Spears, Roshan Johnson, Devon A. Chain, who's a totally different type of running back. And yeah. so it could have just been an oh, opportunity God, cost Miami thing too. here, too. Oh. <laughs> right. went to Miami, of course he did. Yeah, uh, of course. You attract teams, so of course you get a, like a, a little, like a literal Olympic level. <laughs> He's going to be very fun there. It's stupid. Uh, Charbonnet was my RB three behind Bijan and Jameer Gibbs. Yeah. And he wasn't that far behind Jameer Gibbs and he's a totally different back. Um, Would you say that there was a, a drop off in your rankings after Charbonnet? Who did I have at four? Dun, 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 dun. I had Ty J Spears at four. Who, yeah, I would say there was Ty J Spears. Then, um, then a chain, then Rashawn Johnson from Texas who, you know, and the bears got him in like the third round. Rashawn Johnson is a legitimate starting running back. Just he was behind. Dude, him. I thought he might end up being Seattle's new Chris Carson. Yeah, I I could have seen that. And then Dwayne Bride from UAB, very good player who just needs to stop fumbling. Sure, um, that's always good advice. Stop fumbling. If you're fumbling, stop. Um, yeah, RB three power running back two behind a guy who is literally generational best mm-hmm. running back prospect I've seen as I said since Adrian Peterson. So wild. Yeah, he could what. I I have this little apparently I get all these <laughs> got these DMs in the last week. Well, Doug, you hit it on uh Javante Williams and you hit it on Damian Pierce. Who's the guy this year? I'm telling you. 
That's the guy. Really? Okay. For fantasy, I don't know. Well, okay. sure, sure. But, you know. We'll, we'll let the fantasy guys chop that up. But, yeah, uh, man, I, I I get it. I get it. You know, I, I don't have a problem with using a top 50 pick on a running back. I really don't. If you think that he's special. Like, you can't honestly watch the Seahawks for the last six years and look at their offense when they have a healthy, really good running back on the field versus when they don't and say that they don't matter. They may not matter to other teams as much, but they matter to Seattle. When when they were having to push DJ Dallas and Travis Homer out there as the main running backs, that offense didn't go anywhere. When Ken Walker was fighting through an ankle injury through uh, the second half of last year, the offense wasn't doing shit. And so it's like there just is value, at least to Seattle, in having a good running back. And I just believe in taking good players with top 50 picks. And I think Charbonnet is that. If you look at the, the the offense started to stagger a little bit, and it was partly that, and it was partly Cross and Lucas kind of regressing, or you know, but I you know, having that kind of running back makes things so much easier on your offensive line, mm. mm-hmm. where you're not having to do it all every play. Um, sure, and I would say that by taking a receiver at twenty, I think Pete's earned some goodwill as far as taking a running back in the second round. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. I just I you know I I certainly understand the quibble with the pick. I don't understand the outrage, but there was opportunity cost with taking a running back there with a lot of good interior players um, on the board. And you know what they they used day three to hammer that. I mean, once you got to round four, that's when they got to work in the trenches. They used their next four picks to draft 1,200 pounds worth of linemen. And that started at pick 108 with another player that I mocked to Seattle on our show, uh, guard Anthony Bradford out of LSU. That was followed by defensive tackle Cameron Young out of Mississippi State. After that, it was defensive end Mike Morris from Michigan and center Olu Oluwatimi, also from Michigan. And then they finished their picks with Jarek Reed, too, a corner out of New Mexico, and Kenny McIntosh, who you mentioned earlier, running back from Georgia, more of a satellite back type guy. Taken as a whole and, and keeping in mind what Seattle did on the first two days of the draft, how do you feel about this group, and which of these six guys stand out to you the most? Uh, before I do that, I want to chop this up for a second. I'm going yeah. to list 10 players for you who were taken right after Charbonnet. <laughs> okay. you, you tell me if you would have taken any of these players. You, All right. All right. Let's do it. We're, we're in the fire, baby. Let's do it. Uh, Javon Dexter Sr., defensive tackle, Florida. Tui, Tui Pelotu, edge, USC. Rasheed Rice, receiver, SMU. Tyreek Stevenson, cornerback, Miami. John Michael Schmidt, center, Minnesota. I would have taken him. Schmidt. I would have taken that's, him. That's before. the first one that I can say definitively, he's Alex, yes. He's Alex Mack. I love him. Yeah. Uh, Luke Schoonmaker, tight end, Michigan. Osiris Torrance, guard, Florida. Maybe. Eh, maybe. Uh, DJ Turner, cornerback, Michigan. Bretton Strange, tight end, Penn State. Juice Scruggs, center, Penn State. I, I didn't like his tip at all. Colossal reach for the Texans. Uh, Marvin Mims, Mims Jr., receiver, Oklahoma. That's the end of the second round. Outside of John Michael Schmitz, there isn't a player on that list I would have taken above Zach Sherman. Yep, yep. And and so, and I think there's a lot so of Creed, Creed Humphrey redux where, there, too. You also have to look at where the board sits. Now, the guys before him, Cam Smith, Jaden Reed, Keanu Benton, Cody Mock, uh, Jartarius Martin. Oh, they were Keon, taking Benton if he was there. They were taking yeah, Benton if he was there. Keon White, who, oh, my God, in this defense. I yeah. love him. Yeah, uh, Brian yeah, yeah, Branch. Yeah. How the hell Brian Branch lasted until the second round? I don't know. I would have taken him 14th in the first round. Uh, Joe Tipman, who I thought was like a center four, and how Luke Whipper Luke Whipper lasted until the seventh round. That was weird. That was uh, weird. There had to be something going on there. <laughs> but so you also have, you know, 
being outraged over Charbonnet in the abstract is okay, I guess, but you have to look at where things sit. I, I named off like 11 or 12 players there, and there's one guy I would have taken before him, and he's yep. a center. So, yep. eh. And, and if we weren't so snake-bitten by D. Eskridge over Creed Humphrey, we might not be as upset about it. Well, again, that was when they were drafting for God knows what. Right. <laughs> right. We, we, we have to separate ourselves from the traumatic past. Yes, we do. And it sounds like that's what Seattle's doing. Yeah. So let's see. Draft grades. A plus. Hey, I like that. How many, how many of those did you give out this year? Two. Philly, the other one? Yep. yep. That's it. Love I, I, I tend to grade pretty generously because, uh, you know, unless it's uh, the Packers, I did not like at all. Sure. Because you have to like Lucas Van Ness, and I just didn't get it. He was my edge eight. Mm. Mm. But I said, like, I could be wrong about him like I was wrong about Carl Aftis last year because he's the same type of guy. Sure. And I just don't like the I, – I thought Keon White was a better version of Lucas Van Ness than Lucas Van Ness was. But um, So I grade generously like, well – if somebody takes a player high that I really didn't like, like I give the Saints a D minus last year because they took Trevor Penning in the first round. Mm. By the way, okay, Howie Roseman turned Trevor Penning into Jalen Carter. <laughs> fuck yep. out of here. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> he turned Trevor Penning so good, man. It's so good. Just stop. I know it. I know it. It's well, and it's crazy. And, you know, one of my favorite players in the NFL is Jalen Hurts. And, and Jalen Hurts deserves so much credit for allowing the Eagles to draft how they did because they loaded up on draft capital and there was so much talk about, well, if Jalen Hurts isn't the guy, then they package these picks and they move up and they take a quarterback. And they believed in Jalen Hurts. They built around him. They trade for A.J. Brown. And that allowed them to keep all of these other picks to really just strengthen a roster that I think is already maybe the best in the NFL. The thing about Hurts is they didn't ask him to do a bunch of stuff he wasn't good at. Right. Um, and the thing about that sort of offense where he is, the, he's not a system quarterback. He's the system. Everything revolves around him. And you force the defense to do certain things that make those first reads and second reads open, which is mm-hmm. something he's still kind of learning to do. Um, it was kind of like what the Seahawks did with the Russ early. That, yes. Yes, that absolutely. Point. Absolutely. So, yeah, Seattle gets an A-plus for me. Uh, that's I haven't that's great. Was, was there a, uh, one specific guy on day three that kind of – help solidify that for you or is, or one of those six guys that they took rounds four through seven that you really like? I like Kenny McIntosh a lot and mm-hmm. it's the, you know, for his size, I think he has some power and he's a really good receiver. And I think Waldron's going to find ways to get him on the field just for that, because I know he wants to expand that. Game. And I don't know if, like I said, I don't know if Charbonnet is really that guy. Um, Kenny McIntosh is. So he's yeah. that, you know, DJ Dallas. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I mean, he's got the juice. There's no no question about that. You also mentioned a little earlier in the show, you mentioned Anthony Bradford, the guard out of LSU. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you my notes that I have. 6-4-3-3-2. Very large individual who can absolutely demolish people in the run game. Pass pro is more in question. Allowed four sacks and 12 pressures last season. He's late to pick up stunts in games. Pass rushers will bounce right off him to the quarterback when he's late with his hands. If he gets his hands on you, you're done. But that doesn't happen enough. He is... Mm. He's kind of this big, slightly unformed guy who just stands in the middle of the field and eats people. And it, but you know, um, if you get outside of his his radius, then things can get weird. Uh, you can cross his face. Stunts are a problem. 
you know, I, I think he's a developmental guy. Okay, so so maybe not a day one starter. I don't think so. Okay. Okay. Well, the NFL is becoming so much more stunt heavy. I, I noticed that when I was watching tape last year. There's so many more twists in games, especially inside. Um, it's why uh, the, the Wisconsin Center, I, I have so many names in my head, it's hard. Uh, you know, he any anytime he had one of these to deal with, it didn't work well for him. I think uh, Bradford struggles with that too. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that makes sense. And, and unfortunately, that's not a position Seattle has the luxury of taking their time to develop as it stands right now. So hopefully they can get him coached up quick. <laughs> yeah, the Michigan Center I've watched a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I have to be honest. I have not watched the the third day guys. No, it's still early in the post draft process. I totally I understand. Rotative, I, I can't I can't fake it, so I can't yep. always. No man, I and and I appreciate you not uh, BSing us. We'll we'll definitely be following your coverage to learn more about these guys as it goes. And and listen, Doug, I know that this is peak season for you. And we want to let you get back to everything you got to do. But man, it is always awesome to have you on this show. Thank you for coming in. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Of course, man. And as we get out of here, where can the folks listening find more of you? And talk about your book too, because that book rules. Oh, thank you. Uh, the Genius of Desperation. It's now five years old. My God. Um, and it is a chronological schematic history of the NFL from the wing T to the RPO. Uh, as far as where I'm doing stuff online, a lot of it, touchdownwire.usatoday.com. Okay. All right. You've got your marching orders, people. Make sure you're following Doug. Get more of the insight that he has given to us today. It's a nice, it's a pretty nice day outside. Get a cigar and, and go outside and read the book. That's right, baby. That's right. Grab a cigar thought, Stogie. Grab the genius of desperation. Make an afternoon out of it. Man, That's that sounds like a perfect day to me. That's living uh, right yeah, that's living, baby. That's living. Uh, you can also find Mike and I on social media as well. I am on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is on Twitter at, at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at Cigar Thoughts NFL, on TikTok at, at Cigar Thoughts, on YouTube at, at Cigar Thoughts, and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. And when you buy those cigars, hit us up on Twitter or Instagram with a pic and tell us what you think. Remember, you can get those at cigarthoughtsnfl.com or just click the links in the show page. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of this show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life. and It's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making it happen. We will be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. 